Hi, friends, and welcome to Art Lab, the podcast for folks who really want to make creative work but don't like what they made. Has this ever happened to you? You're really excited to make your creative work. You have a great idea, the right materials, and then you get into it and you are so focused on your idea, on the specific outcome, on the creative vision that you want to make a reality, that pretty quickly into the process, you realize that the thing you're trying to make just feels more and more out of reach. Each word you type, each stroke of your pen, every choice you make feels like it's moving you further and further from your creative vision. And even if you somehow manage to grit your teeth and finish the work, the piece at the end ends up just feeling, you know, awkward or wrong or unrecognizable in some way. And you walk away from the whole thing feeling deflated and confused. Said in a simpler way, you don't like the work you made. Now, obviously, this is a super common phenomenon, this experience of not liking the end result of your creative work. It happens to everyone from time to time, you know, myself included. So I really probably don't even need to ask you or even need to bother asking whether you have struggled with this feeling. If you're a person trying to make some kind of creative work, I'm sure you have. And it's no wonder because we so often learn to measure our success as creative people solely by how we feel about the end product or or even more treacherously how other people feel about the end product. You know, how much praise the work we make receives, whether it makes money, whether it gets likes, etc. And we don't really learn to think much about our own experience of engaging in the creative process, whether we like it or not, whether it's challenging us or fulfilling us. And one of the clearest examples of this for me is the structure of a typical drawing class and what ends up getting evaluated, which is almost exclusively the finished work itself. You know, yes, sometimes while you're in the class, while you're at your board, there might be a professor walking around critiquing your technique, but mostly you make your pieces, you put those finished pieces up on the wall, and then you all stand around and critique that finished work. That's the thing that's evaluated. And that's the type of evaluation that we all learn to engage in, product-focused evaluation. Evaluation, critiquing the finished work for technical flaws, originality, impact, etc. And most of us are not really taught to evaluate or measure or reflect on our own subjective experience of the process. And honestly, this just makes sense to me because we live in a world that values production and outcomes and specific things that we can see and touch and measure. And while the creative process, on the other hand, and the feelings surrounding it as experienced by you, the creator, are personal and abstract and subjective and fleeting, how can we possibly measure or teach how to evaluate that. So we naturally gravitate towards what we can quantify to the actual thing itself, the actual creative work, the thing that we can look at and touch and see. And there's nothing objectively wrong with that. I'm not here to tell you that evaluating the product of your creative work, your paintings, your songs, your manuscripts, whatever kind of creative work you make is wrong. It's actually vital and can be super instructive. And outcomes do matter, especially if you want to work as a professional creative. But like anything, it's a balancing act and your posture, the direction of your focus needs to change dynamically based on where you are in your creative journey. And if you have been in a season of life where you've been focused on a goal-oriented approach with your work and it's consistently not yielding results, and by that I mean it's consistently not helping you to actually get your creative work made, it may be time for a different focus, a different approach for making decisions in your creative practice, one that focuses less on the product and more on the process of making. It. Now, you may be rolling your eyes right this very minute. You've heard this one before, right? Yes, focus on the process is 
a pretty common piece of advice. But I think like a lot of platitudes, we've heard it so many times that it's lost any real meaning, any any sense of specific meaning. I know for me, when I was really in my peak serial incompletist phase, abandoning project after project, every single project I started pretty much because I hated how they were turning out, I would hear this sort of thing, this, you know, just focus on the process and just immediately write it off, you know, rolling my eyes, thinking it's ridiculous. I, I probably would have just grouped it in with other well-meaning but, you know, not very helpful platitudes, pieces of advice like live, laugh, love, or just stay positive. But of course, the other cliche about cliches is that they're cliche for a reason. So today we're going to take this idea, focusing on the process from the realm of the platitude and pull it down to the realm of the everyday and the concrete. We're going to approach it with a structure and objectivity that is usually reserved only for a more product-focused, outcome-driven posture. So our goal here, our goal in this is to find a creative process that you enjoy engaging in, even if you do not especially love the outcome. So to do this, you're going to set up a series of creative projects and prompts with the goal of gathering information about your feelings and how you uniquely respond to each project. The ultimate goal in this is to uncover that process that you truly enjoy for its own sake, a process that you look forward to, that you want to engage in, no matter how challenging it is, a process that feels engrossing and exciting and brings out your curiosity regardless of the outcome of that process. And of course, because I love to keep things balanced, I have to go ahead and say right here that this doesn't mean that you're never going to focus on the outcome again. You, you will. You will definitely focus on the outcome again and the outcome does matter. But for a time, you can try, especially if you're stuck on this, shifting your main focus to your experience of the process rather than on the outcome of the process. So these projects that we're building are kind of like little experiments. And since the goal we're aiming for is to find a process that you enjoy for its own sake, we're going to call them process enjoyment tests or PETs for short. Each pet is an experiment where you will be both the scientist and the subject. You're going to be gathering data on how you feel while you're engaging in a particular creative process. And in doing that, you're going to make focusing on the process itself more concrete and measurable and specific. Okay, so here's a basic structure for a process enjoyment test, what it actually is. A pet is a very limited scope creative process constrained on up to four fronts, media, subject, method, and scale. So for the first constraint, media, th this is pretty straightforward. What will the work be made out of? Is it going to be paint, pencil, sculpture, performance, something else? You might try a new media or a media that you have on hand, but you haven't used in a long time or an old favorite. If you're a painter, you might even try to limit your palette or constrain yourself in some other way. Whatever you do, decide on a type of media that you will use and then stick to that for the duration of your pet. The next constraint is the subject. This is the content of your work, the thing that your pet is about. And this could be, you know, an abstract idea or concept, or it could be something super concrete like flowers or landscapes or caterpillars. So pick a subject for your pet and then stick to that for the duration as well. It can be really helpful here to have a list of inspirations and things that you're into and excited about beyond your creative practice. So if you're a musician, it wouldn't just be a list of other musicians that you like or other songs that you like, even though they could be on there too. It would include lots of other things that get you excited or keyed up in some way, things that are beyond your area, the area, the, the real estate of your creative scope. So, you know, books, genres, places in the world, types of food, sports, it can be anything and everything that you're curious about, that you're interested in, that gets you excited in some way. I know for me, my list has things that are super concrete, like, you know, pie and trees and the color yellow and things that are more abstract, like motherhood and the feeling that you 
you get on a sunny fall day when everything is perfect and gorgeous, but you know it's not going to stay that way for very long. And when making your own list, I'd recommend including pretty much anything that can fit in the following categories. Things that you enjoy talking about with others, things that you tend to think about a lot or have thought about for a long time, and then things that you appreciate looking at or experiencing. And you may already have this kind of a list on hand. It's you know a fairly common creative exercise. I think a lot of us have done versions of this. So you can either just work from one that you already have or make a new one. But then when you're choosing the subject constraint, when you're looking at your list and you're actually picking what subject it's going to be, how you're going to constrain your pet, I'd recommend keeping it fairly simple initially so that you don't accidentally get too focused on the product or the outcome. We're not digging into this list so that you can come up with the perfect finished product, a crafted piece of work that you know perfectly expresses your style and your interests and these things from your list that indicate who you are at a deep level. We're combing through this list for a much more basic reason. We are just looking for things that you like on their own, that are interesting to you on their own, in order to harness some of that interest and energy and curiosity and use it for motivation to engage in your creative process. Something that I found really helpful when I was first getting started was focusing on those subjects that didn't really feel good enough to be real art. Uh, Andy Miller calls these things guilty pleasures. And for me, they're the things that are interesting and fun, things that I'd want to chat with a friend about at a party, but they don't necessarily feel innately serious or important. Another way to think about this would be to take kind of the opposite approach to some of the most common advice that's given about nutrition, which is to eat the least processed food possible, you know, keep it local and whole grain and plant-based, all of that. And my understanding as a non-nutritionist, someone who's not a nutritionist, is that the reason that this is recommended is that it's more work for your body to break down oatmeal, a bowl of oatmeal, than it is to break down an oatmeal cookie. But for our pet, we're actually looking for the complete opposite. We are looking for the oatmeal cookie. We want the refined carbohydrates, the white bread, the soda, the candy, basically just, you know, what's the thing that you can easily reach for because it tastes good and it's fun and you enjoy it and it doesn't require a whole lot from you. That's what we're looking for in terms of the subject for your pet. And in general, I would say that the more stuck you feel here, the more inertia you're experiencing, the more sugary your subject should be. And again, remember that that doesn't mean that you're never going to tackle one of those weightier subjects from your list. You will. That will be something that happens at some point. But right now, your aim is to discover what kind of creative process you specifically enjoy engaging in. And to get unstuck, you are just setting aside those more, you know, fiber dense subjects, those weightier subjects for another time and reaching for those refined carbohydrates. So the next constraint is the method. And this is the how of making the work. So for art, it would be, you know, realism or abstraction, conceptual or figurative, almost like the academic discipline or approach that you're going to use to, to create that work. And this is definitely related to the media and the subject. And I think probably depending on the type of work that you engage in, they, they might even end up just being collapsed into the same category. But it's a bit of a broader category. And sometimes if a constraint on the subject or media angles didn't work, mixing it up on the method can make it easier for you to tap into your experience of the process. For example, if you have uh, felt stuck trying to make realistic work, regardless of the media that you're using or the subjects that you're taking on, maybe try something looser for your process enjoyment test. Or if you're feeling kind of limited by non-figurative work, let yourself experiment with recognizable forms. There are tons of different ways to mix this up. 
All right, so the last constraint is scale. And by scale, I don't just mean the actual physical size of the piece, though that can definitely be a part of it. Scale is just the overall size and scope of the project. So yes, the physical dimensions, but also the number of works, the length of works, the amount of time that is invested in each of them, et cetera. Basically, anything that you can measure with a number. And if you're planning on using other constraints in your process enjoyment test, the media, the method, or the subject, I recommend that you also constrain the scale at some level too, because this will enable you to easily determine when your pet is complete. So ideally, your pet prompt would be not just create four-inch blue glazed pots, but create 20 four-inch blue glazed pots. It's pretty straightforward when 20 has been reached. It either has or it hasn't. And the great thing about this framework is that in addition to a clear endpoint, it's not really geared towards evaluating the outcome beyond whether it's complete or not. 20 pots is just 20 pots. It's either done or it's not. Not 20 technically perfect pots or 20 beautiful pots, just 20 pots. So whatever scale you end up setting for your pet, I recommend you give it at least two to three pieces to see how you feel about a given process. And that's because when you're just getting started on something, and uh, you know, at, at least for me anyway, uh, well, especially when I'm trying a different approach or you know anything that's new, the first few pieces are almost always going to feel awkward and uncomfortable to some extent. You know, so it really does take a couple of iterations before you are even at a point where you can truly evaluate your experience before you can truly honestly say whether you like doing that process or not. Okay, so those are the four constraints. Those are the the four different variables that you can change to build your process enjoyment test. So to actually run the process enjoyment test, you need to decide which of these constraints you're going to use. So if you've been stuck here for a while, you know, feeling consistently like you don't like the work that you made and then feeling demotivated and, you know, avoiding making creative work because of that, I would recommend making the container for your pet nice and cozy. So in other words, if you feel more stuck, constrain more. It can feel, you know, really counterintuitive if you are already feeling stuck or experiencing inertia, but oftentimes the introduction of another limitation, another constraint, a very clear objective boundary can actually really give you something to push against and can provide some real momentum in your creative work. So think about the constraints that you want to push up against, how much structure you need, and write that all down. And then it's time to actually make the work in the parameters of your pet. So when you're doing it, remember that your overarching aim is to gather information about your feelings during the process. Despite the fact that those are all kind of producty things, we are not here to measure the outcomes. We're not here to measure the product. We are measuring how it feels to make those outcomes. So you're not evaluating the success or failure of a work that you've made. You are primarily evaluating your feelings while making that work. Now, this may be counterintuitive for all of those reasons we talked about earlier, because we tend to latch on to the end product and want to evaluate that and base all of our opinions about it on that. And honestly, after the work is done, that is the easiest thing to do because that's the thing that's sitting right in front of you. And that's what you can continue to experience, the actual thing you made. The experience of the process itself is fleeting. And even though you were the one who walked through it, it is gone once that process is over. So because of that, I really recommend leaving evidence for yourself. Keep a paper and pen nearby while you're working so that you can take notes about how you're feeling, what you're noticing about your experience of the process, even if it's only a word or two that's helpful data. Try to just pause and do that at each phase of your creative process. So you can ask yourself, how do you feel? Are you excited? Are you calm? Are you uncertain? Are you feeling dread, temptation to procrastinate, a desire to change the structure of your pet? All of this is helpful information. I think a lot of creative folks have kind of mixed relationships 
relationships with our own feelings, depending on how we've been taught to view them or think about them. Some of us may feel like we need to ignore them or try to be rational, but your feelings, whatever they are, have some really helpful information. For example, if you're starting on your pet work for the day and your feelings are heaviness and dread and you're not wanting to do it, and this is the fifth time that it's been hard to motivate yourself, pay attention to that. So many of us have this assumption baked in that for creative work to matter, it must feel difficult and torturous and fraught, that the right path to follow towards creativity must inevitably be the one that leads to suffering or at the very least to seriousness and away from fun, away from triviality, away from pleasure, especially if you're struggling with motivation and with being able to do this on a regular basis. I really encourage you to question that narrative. Leave a little space for the idea that especially in the beginning or when you're feeling stuck, or changing direction, it's okay for creative work to be pretty straightforward and simple. Do you want to do it? Do you like doing it? And hopefully the answer is yes. So pay attention to all of that, all of those feelings. Pay attention to it if the answer is no, and be sure that you're taking notes and capturing that data in real time. I also like to make a note of when the feelings happened, you know, not necessarily the exact time, but the phase of the process and what I had just been doing, what I had just been working on. So maybe jot down a few words about that too. It doesn't have to be a ton, just some little breadcrumbs for yourself. It can also be really helpful to notice whether you had a tough time completing the process, whether you had a tough time finishing your pet, or whether you procrastinated a lot. At a very basic level, we're looking for clues, we're looking for breadcrumbs about some form of enjoyment in the process itself. That doesn't mean that every single moment has to be a nonstop thrill ride, but that the process is valuable and engaging and something that you want to do again, regardless of the outcome. Something that can be helpful here is to think of another thing that you like spending time doing, something that requires an amount of active effort and attention from you, you know, maybe like baking or hiking, exercising, sewing, playing a sport. It can't be something passive like watching TV. Not that that's bad, but you know, for this, we need something that's active. It's something that engages you, a thing that you look forward to doing, even though it requires effort and may not be a nonstop fun fest. Once you have that thing, you know, get it, hold it in your your mind, that's going to be kind of like your your yardstick here. Once you have that, get that thing, get a picture of that thing. Think about how it makes you feel. Get that thing in your mind, hold it there, and then compare how you feel about your time spent on your pet to this other thing that you like doing. Does it get at some of the same kind of feeling? At a baseline level, the question you're asking is, have you enjoyed this process? Not the outcome, not the product, just the process itself. And do you want to do more of this process? If yes, it's pretty simple. Keep going in that direction. Structure a new process enjoyment test with more expansive constraints. This might be as simple as just, you know, adjusting the scale. So if you initially worked on three pieces, maybe for your next phase, you'll try five pieces. Or if your experience with it was just, you know, kind of okay, kind of meh, but not something you're super excited about, like you could, you know, take it or leave it, then modify the constraints. This is where your mid-process note-taking or the reflection that you engage on during your process can come in super handy. So look back at that data and ask yourself where you lost steam. Where did it feel forced? Where did the process require a lot of energy from you to stay engaged? And then try to build a new version of your pet that de-emphasizes those areas and focuses more on the areas of the process that you naturally found a groove in. So that doesn't mean that you will never come back to those sticky spots. I keep saying this. I I feel like I'm saying that to a former 
version of myself because I know I was very concerned about that at the time. But right now you are setting them aside. You're setting aside those stickier spots until you have more momentum. And then of course, if you do your pet and there is just no enjoyment of the process, no feeling of curiosity, no engagement, nothing that you want to save or repeat the next time, then trust that data, trust those observations, trust those notes and switch to something completely different. Go ahead and change most or all of the constraints and then do the evaluation over again. And it's totally normal to have to do this several times. We don't all just automatically head upon a process that is just resonant for us from our first attempt. It's it's normal for this to be something that takes work. So wrapping up here, if you have been focused on the outcome for a long time and it hasn't been serving you, if it hasn't helped you make work consistently, this week, try doing a process enjoyment test instead. So constrain your process on one or more of those variables that we talked about, media, subject, method, scale, and run that experiment. Make the work, gather the data, take notes about your experience of the process of making it, and then evaluate and adjust and see where that gets you. Thank you for spending time with me. And as always, if you found any of what we talked about helpful, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, share the episode with somebody that you know who might also like to hear it. That really helps. And if you're watching on YouTube and you have questions, thoughts, things that you'd like to get into future episodes, go ahead and drop those in the comments. And of course, if you like to share your process, if you want to share your pet on social media, tag me. I'm at Kendall Hillegas and I would love, love, love to see what you do with your pet. Thank you again and have a great week, friends. Bye.